KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Ever since the 2020 election, laws have been introduced in states across the country that would seem to be solely designed to make it harder and harder for people to vote. We wanted to dig into this. Why is it happening? How alarming is it? And what could be the end result? To talk about this, we caught up with Dr. Benjamin Dworkin. He is the director of the Rowan Institute for Public Policy and Citizenship at Rowan University down in Glassboro, New Jersey. Interesting and important conversation. Give a listen. So we have seen hundreds of bills introduced in state legislatures across the country since the election. And just on the surface, it seems like almost across the board, they are aimed at restricting who can vote. Am I being alarmist or is this, for the most part, what we're seeing? Well, they're unable. Let me just clarify. They are unable to restrict who can vote um, for the most part. I mean, felons, there is a little bit of a a situation there for people who serve time and are now uh, technically eligible in some states and not eligible in others. But for the most part, what we're really seeing is the ease with which a person can vote being restricted, being limited, and just making the whole process more difficult. I think people should be alarmed. We should understand The history of America is replete with examples of efforts by those in power trying to restrict the rights to vote of fellow citizens. This has happened, you know, for more than 230 years. But what is alarming about what's happening now is the breadth and the speed with which so many changes in so many different states are happening all in the immediate aftermath of the 2020 election. It seems like the vast majority of these laws, if not almost the entire group of them, are being put forth by GOP legislators. Is this why is this happening? Is this simply because Donald Trump lost and going along with the lie that the election was stolen? Yes, it it is not. It's it's not just about the fact that Donald Trump lost the presidential election. It's that Donald Trump lost the presidential election and he and millions of his supporters refused to accept that fact. And they believe in the big lie. Now, we should just understand um, before the big lie just becomes some simple pejorative that people throw around. There is simply no evidence that there was widespread fraud anywhere in the country. And what you have is a situation following the election, the Trump campaign, as was their complete right to do, went to court, went to court over and over and over again to make their case that in this state, in this city, in this county, there was fraud, and they never were able to prove widespread fraud. Never. And that fundamental, you know, if there was something bad, if there was a giant conspiracy, as so many people seem to want to believe, it would have come out. But this has not happened. Um, And so we had recounts everywhere. Georgia went through three of them. Uh, You know, we had recounts in all of these places and nothing changed the final result. And therefore, to continue to argue 
over and over and over again that the election was a fraud. It was all fake. There are, we heard stories about this and that kind of shenanigans. Nothing changed the, the final result. And that's why uh, people are calling it the big lie, because they're simply repeating something that has not been proven despite every available legal effort to prove it. The scope of the laws being, you know, in some places passed, in some places proposed, it's all over the place. There was a lot of focus on, I think it was in Georgia, you can't hand out water bottles to people. And, I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds, I think you got to go deeper because some of the real alarming stuff is basically some of these laws would transfer the power to the legislature that if they don't like the result, they can overturn it. Am I crazy here? No, there are, look, there are different places doing different things. I mean, one of the things that we see is that every state, this is, you know, example of American federalism, every uh, state operates its own election system. You know, there are different nuances depending on which legislature is doing which thing. But yes, transferring the power to the legislature to affirm and overturn election results, if it, if it chose to in the future, is a power that is being considered and has been passed and is being pursued in multiple venues. But that's really just one. You know, we should understand there are ways, if you want to mess around with the freedom of, sit, of your fellow citizens to be able to act on that citizenship, you can. You know, you can move polling places every six months. And so that every new election, you can have some different place where you have to go, which means that if someone goes to the old place and then it's run, they found out it's the wrong, they don't know where the new one is, well, they might get frustrated and go home. There are ways of doing this. In fact, we've seen it even before all this legislation. What we are talking about now is just coordinated and very targeted efforts in different states throughout the country to make it an even more comprehensive uh, limitation on the ease with which a citizen can go and exercise the ultimate ability of a citizen, which is to vote in a free election. So much of this is based on a lie. How do you combat legislation that is not based in reality? Lots of legislation is not based in reality. <laughs> let's, let's just, as someone who has studied, certainly in New Jersey, you know, legislation, the legislative process, let's just understand, somebody gets an idea believes that this is the case and we now have something on it you know even if it was just one high profile example that's you know legislators respond to moments and emotion and public perception so you know in some ways this isn't different than the legislative process that we see around the country that having been said yes it's it's, it's based on a lie but it's also based on the dynamics within each state. You know, this is not about comparing Georgia to, say, New York, which, and New York is not exactly a shining beacon of 
democracy in terms of the ease with which people can get on the ballot and vote uh, there. But it's not about every state does their own thing. That is part of the beauty of federalism as set up when the country was founded. What you have to compare is Georgia before the law and Georgia after the law, Texas before the law and Texas after the law. And in that situation, Pennsylvania before and and, and after. And in that situation, on that terrain, clearly there are things in each of these laws that make it harder. It's, It's just we are now going, moving forward, it will be more difficult for citizens to exercise their rights as citizens. As quickly as laws have been passed in in some states, there's been uh, litigation challenging it. Do you think there is a good chance that many of these laws won't hold up to uh, judicial scrutiny and we could see them tossed by the wayside? Uh, Possibly. Uh, You know, you, you don't know with the courts these days. I think it's clear those who are challenging it believe the case is clear on their side Um, and parts of these laws. Remember, these are very broad things. So the example you brought up about can you give water and food to someone who's been waiting online? I'm not sure whether that's a constitutional question. I'm not sure whether the courts are even going to step in and they'll simply say the state has a right to do it. It's not preventing anybody from exercising their right to do it. It just means you'll be hungrier because no one's offering you food uh, or water if you're sitting in 90 degree heat in Texas waiting to get to your polling place where there's a long line because somebody else that has nothing to do with the law, but somebody else decided in this neighborhood, we're only going to have two polling booths and in other neighborhoods we'll have seven. So just... You know, you create a bottleneck where you want to create a bottleneck. These are choices that election officials in counties and in local jurisdictions can make. So I'm not sure whether the courts are going to step in to all of these things. If you had an example, let's just uh, give North Carolina as an example. A couple of years ago, North Carolina legislators decided to look at when African-Americans voted and then said, okay, we are not going to allow people to vote at those times. It was so deliberate and overt that the court stepped in and said, that's ridiculous. We're not allowing you to do that. But I'm not sure, you know, all of these cases of this new legislation really are going to fall into that kind of category. And so what I think what we will see from the courts is that pieces of these very broad pieces of legislation Uh, individual articles within the law might be thrown out, but the entire enterprise is not going to be stopped at this point. I I doubt that. And I don't know if you can answer this, but I know in a lot of places, you know, it's mostly, if not all, Republicans that are pushing these legislations. And in a lot of cases, it was Republicans that put in place the old laws. And they were fine with it until they lost an election or Democrats took advantage of whatever the situation was, be it mail-in ballots, be it drop-off boxes, whatever. And then all of a sudden it became a problem. If it gets to a lawsuit, does that hold weight, the fact that it is pretty obvious that the politicians only had a problem when the other party 
started utilizing the the tools that they put in place for an election, or am I being too common sense? <laughs> to, to channel, you know, my inner Casablanca, I am shocked, shocked that there is hypocrisy in politics. We should not be surprised, <laughs> you know, that people don't care about a deficit and spending money one year and then when they're not in charge, oh, we have to cut back on our spending. I mean, this happens. And both sides are complicit in that, in any number of examples of hypocrisy, both parties. So I don't think that's going to be um, a significant part of the debate, uh, per se. I mean, what we should understand is that Donald Trump received more votes for president in 2020 than anyone else in the history of the republic, with one exception, and that was Joe Biden in 2020. More people voted uh, in this election than ever before. We're talking about over 156 million. That's about 20 million more people than voted in 2016, which was its own historic uh, election. 20 million more people. Um, Again, more ballots cast than ever in the history of the United States. So it seems to me, you know, rather than trying to clamp down on this historic achievement, uh, America might want to celebrate it. What we were able to go through in 2020, leaving aside whether you feel the outcome was what you wanted, but the mere process was an uh, outstanding achievement that is so great that half the world outside the United States wants to come here to be able to do that, to be able to vote. Um, And I think we're just sort of losing sight of what we as Americans were able to uh, accomplish. Look, we took a vote. Fair is fair. These are our numbers. And somebody ends up on top. And you go for four years, not forever, and you have another one of these. That's how this works. And that's how it's supposed to work. It was a tremendous achievement. And I think we lose sight of it as people get caught up in the candidates themselves. We talk about litigation as one way people are fighting back. There's also been talk of, I know there's been introduction by Democrats of, I think it's the John Lewis Voting Act, the For the People Act. Could we see these things passed and how much of an effect would either of them have on neutralizing a lot of these roadblocks that have been put up uh, in front of people getting to the voting booth? Yeah, look, I mean, aside from the intended effects of this legislation that you see uh, in different states, and again, it's different in each state, but aside from what they're trying, you know, they're obviously trying to do restrict the ease with which citizens can cast their ballots. There are a couple other effects that will happen as these things get passed. And one, as you said, is that there, I think this puts a tremendous amount of pressure, uh, certainly pressure on the Democratic controlled Congress to do something about it. And the way to, no pun intended, trump the states is to pass federal legislation that creates federal standards for each state to implement. And that is how you got the Voting Rights Act at a certain point, and that is how you can have 
standards imposed on every state. So effectively, again, talking about federalism, there are certain things that are handled by the states, but the federal government is allowed to impose standards and you can't go below those standards. We see this with energy efficient cars, right? Um, California standards are exceed the federal baseline. What these various uh, bills in Congress would do would be to create a certain baseline. You can't do this. You can't do that. This is you have to have this kind of minimum of standard for allowing citizens to engage as citizens. So I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure so long as these states continue this drive, uh, pressure on the Democratic Congress to do something about it. I'm not sure those various H.R. 1, the John Lewis Act and other things are going to pass in their entirety as they look now. This is a legislative process. You know, deals get made, things get lost in order to make sure you have the votes. But if you want to stop this, the federal legislation is the way to go. There's a second, uh, I think, perhaps unintended effect that we can see by the passage of these kinds of laws in different states. And that is what we, what we in the political science world call counter-mobilization. Effectively, you know, I, I was watching Star Wars the other day because it was Star Wars Day, right, with my kids. And you can remember the, the famous line, the, the harder you squeeze, the more systems will slip through your fingers. And in that kind of metaphor, let me uh, suggest that the harder they try to restrict voting, people try to restrict voting, the more people will do everything they can to overcome those hurdles. Because the moment you say, I can't do something, that person is even more motivated to make sure they can do it. You say, I have to go further away in order to use a Dropbox. We're going to have one Dropbox in an entire county that's 500 miles you know, wide, as you saw in, in Texas and other places, um, or whatever the restrictions are, fine. I will. But now I'm really upset. Now I'm ticked off, says the voter. And that becomes this idea of counter-mobilization. In effect, you awake the sleeping giant when you try to restrict uh, this stuff. And that may well happen. Um, You know, there were restrictions on the books already in any number of places, North Carolina being one of them. Not everything they had got thrown out. Um, But you saw, again, a surge in people trying to vote finding a way to vote. Um, and that will um, that may well be invigorated among the electorate as uh, these restrictions get imposed. And to wrap up, given everything we've talked about, where are you on the health of democracy? You talk about we had so many people vote, but now we've got a lot of people working really hard to make it hard to vote. Then you talk about counter-mobilization. When you kind of put it all together... Are you optimistic? Are you in the middle? Are you pessimistic? How do you feel about the direction things are going? Oh, I, I think it's a very challenging time. And I think what the 2020 election gives me optimism. I mean, democracy won. And the democratic, ex, uh, lowercase d, uh, the experiment in democracy, the American experiment, this 
transformational, seminal idea of the power belongs to the people who then get to elect representatives in this form of government and continually get to uh, elect them again and again. This idea, a lot of us grew up thinking it was secure. It's obvious. It is just what we do. And I think what became clear around the world for other places and even in America, we're not exactly so secure in these kinds of things. So I became uh, optimistic because democracy won in the 2020 uh, election. But it's still a challenging time. And it just uh, relies on individual people, not politicians, but individual people who say, I am eligible to vote, I will vote, and I will find a way to vote, no matter what hurdle is put in front of me. That is how it begins. And it continues with people who get on their local boards of elections or advocate to their elected officials telling them we don't want this kind of restriction placed on us. We should encourage the people to vote. And if one side wins because that given year, in that given election, they can convince more people, then that's what it is. Uh, you know, but there are any number of challenges to democracy. Uh, we've talked in recent years about you know, the challenge of the media-focused democracy, the campaign consultant-focused uh, elections, the soundbite that went from 15 seconds to eight seconds to practically nothing. There is no soundbite. The news cycle, which is now 24-7. There is no, oh, by tomorrow morning, what? Everything is every five minutes. We watch news today 24-7, and even that's not enough because we have a scroll on the television at the bottom of the screen that tells us, even more newsy news than what I'm watching. This, we've, all of these are challenges to democracy, um, but it relies on, and so are these uh, you know, various pieces of legislation about voting and participation. But we know over 156 million Americans cast ballots. The election was the election, and Democrats will have to understand when they lose at some point. Surely they will. <laughs> this is the, you know, the nature of elections. Nobody's got a lock on this. So all of these things are challenges. All of these things are difficult. And all of, all of these things will rely on the individual citizen to make, a, uh, to make it work. That is, I think that's the lesson from 2020. And it's a lesson we have to carry forward. And if I can just, I mean, it's a line from Bill Clinton, and I don't mean to quote a Democrat as opposed to a Republican, but it's just a good line, which is that you know, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be solved by what is right in America. And I think that applies to elections. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.